So welcome to part two of my storytellers, or what I'm calling my life in 30 songs. As I said in the intro to part one, as I laid out these 30 songs, it kind of was weird that it took me right up to 1988, part one, and then and now part two starts in 88, because this is, a, this is a very significant year for me. I had dropped out of college in, in 87, and so it was kind of time to you know, to, to start my adult life and figure out what are you going to do with yourself, young man? So in 88, I went to broadcasting school, Connecticut School of Broadcasting, and from there was recruited by a mobile DJ company called Star DJs. And as my DJing career was getting started with them, they also offered me a job in the office. And so that seemed like a good opportunity. And, and so uh, 88, especially the fall of 88, is a very significant time for me as, as I move out of Queens and into my very own first apartment and, and start my my career, if you will. I didn't think of it probably at the time. I thought of it more of like, oh, I'll do this for a while. But um, wow, <laughs> shit, man, looking back, uh, the, the DJing thing. Uh, has been very kind to me, and I uh, hope I've, I've been very kind to it. So I think about 1988, and I think about the music that came out, and I remember significantly Guns N' Roses' um, album, Appetite for Destruction. I believe it came out in 87, but I think I started becoming aware of it in, in 88 when MTV started playing the uh, very cool black and white video for Sweet Child of Mine. All of a sudden, the album blew up, and everybody became aware of it, and everybody became a big Guns N' Roses fan. I happened to be madly in love with a woman at the time whose hair, you know, indeed reminded me of a warm, safe place where as a child I'd hide, which was a great line. And maybe it's just me being nostalgic. But for me, Guns N' Roses very much felt like the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s. I know a, a lot of people look at the grunge movement as the, the beginning of the 90s and ending the high hair bands and stuff like that. But to me, Guns N' Roses had a lot to do with that. They they did have high hair, especially uh, Axel. But, you know, for me, there was a lot more gravitas with Guns N' Roses than there was with uh, bands like Bon Jovi and, and Poison. And so I thought they they made those bands seem a little bit like posers and, and kind of like outdated. I'm not going to play Sweet Child of Mine. I'm actually going to play my favorite track off of uh, Appetite for Destruction, and that's Paradise City. I just love how this song builds and builds and builds and the, and the tempo change at the end and everything else. So kick off part two of my storytellers with this great song by uh, Guns N' Roses. Here's Paradise City.
probably very few albums in my life that I could tell you exactly where I was and, and when I heard it for the first time. But the Sinead O'Connor album, I Do Not Want What I Have Not Got, is one of those albums. I remember it vividly. It was the spring of 1990, and I was working at Star DJs, and I was really working my ass off. I was in the office five days a week and, and working on the weekends. And, and believe me, I'm not complaining about that fact. I was 24 years old. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. And, and I was hustling, and, I, and I, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I was building a career, and I was learning a lot. And I was working hard, but I, I remember I for the first time in months, I had a day off. It was probably a Sunday, I would guess. And I decided to go into Greenwich Village, uh, which was you know, where I had gone to high school. And so I've always had a very fond feeling about that area of New York. I think it's really cool and bohemian. And, and I like spending a day there just walking around the shops and stuff like that. But I stopped into a pizzeria to have lunch. And the guy behind the counter was playing music that I had never heard before. And I asked him to turn it up because I really liked it. It was a woman singing, and I loved her voice and everything else. And I remember staying for the entire album. I, I, I listened to it. It's sitting in this pizzeria. I listened to the entire album. And, of course, I asked him what it was, and he told me it was Sinead O'Connor, and, and I do not want what I have not got. And I, I went to the local Tower Records, which I used to hang out a lot in uh, on Broadway downtown, and I bought the cassette so I could listen to it on the way home. I remember thinking, well, if I buy the CD, I didn't have a CD player in my in my Jeep at the time. I couldn't listen to it until I got home. So I bought the cassette, and I just loved it, and I loved every single track on that album. Obviously, she covers a, a Prince song, so that, that, that helps. But I'm going to play a song called I Am Stretched on Your Grave uh, from that album. This is another one, and I think this is a common theme with the songs that I love. I love how it starts very simply with just a beat, but then it builds and it ends with that great uh, fiddle, I guess it is, or violin solo at the end, very Irish sounding, almost like an Irish jig. Uh, but then I also love, and again, this is another theme of mine, I just love songs that just boom, they end on a dime like that. This is one of my favorite tracks of all time. This is Sinead O'Connor, and I am stretched on your grave.
Wow, another great ending, right? I just, I love that. I love how uh, a song ends like that. Early 90s, MTV is still showing videos. And uh, every once in a while, I actually had an opportunity to sit down and watch some of them. And I remember tuning in one day and seeing the video for this next song, Been Caught Stealing by Jane's Addiction. And man, I, I never became a big Jane's Addiction fan. I remember buying a couple of their albums and just not really getting into every single song. I love Jane Says, and I also love this song, man. Been Caught Stealing is just one of my all-time pump up. I have it on my iPhone in my in my running and workout playlists, and I listen to it every once in a while. It comes up, and it just takes me from you know, from this level to here. And I know I'm showing hand signals, which makes no sense on an audio track, but it just gets me pumped up. I have no idea why there's a, a dog barking in the song. Kind of crazy. And, and you wouldn't think that would work. You would think that would kind of be sticky and, and ruin the song, but it works. It works in this context and it works in this song. One of my all-time favorites here has been Caught Stealing. <laughs>
So Seal's debut album comes out in, I think, 1991. And I remember hearing it. I remember hearing Crazy, I think, on the radio. And it just it blew me away. Uh, there was something about the mix of electronica and dance and Seal's very cool voice and great lyrics that, uh, that really just grabbed me. And that was one of those CDs I bought back then. One of the few that I bought for my own personal purposes, because like I said, I was buying a lot of music back then, but but mostly for gigs. And um, I, I just, that CD never came out of my CD player. It never came out of my car. Uh, I just played it nonstop. I can't say looking back that Seal kind of lived up to the promise of his debut. I, th- I think I thought he was going to be a much bigger artist than it, he turned out to be. But that whole CD still is one of my, you know, you know, the term Desert Island Discs. If there is such a thing, I, that would probably be one of them. I was going to play Crazy Here or Killer. Uh, those are the kind of the two popular songs off of that CD. But I decided to go with a song called Future Love Paradise, uh, which uh, it's it's always reminded me kind of lyrically of that great Prince song, Seven. Just how there's this kind of, um, you know, ideal love, if you will, in the world that we can find if we look for it. Uh, to me, this is such a beautiful and uplifting song. The only love they'll find is paradise. What a great wish for everyone, right? But if only you could see them, you would know from their faces there were Followed by princes and princesses There were future power people Throwing love to the loveless Shining a light cause they wanted it seen Well there were cries of why Followed by cries of why not Can I reach out for you if that feels good to me and the riders will not stop us Cause the only love they'll find is paradise No, the riders will not stop us Cause the only love they'll find is paradise
So 1993, I leave Star DJs and I become a partner at Elite Entertainment. We are a much smaller, much smaller DJ company. I was managing at Star like 50 DJs and pretty much working seven days a week. And and all of a sudden, it's you know me, a partner, and two other DJs. And so I found myself with a ton of free time on my hands, and I decided to go back to college. I had uh, dropped out of college as a teenager. And I decided, let me at least go back and get my associates. That's all I currently have. And I've thought someday about going back and and finally getting a four-year degree. But uh, anyway, so I went back to college. And at that point, it was kind of interesting because I'm eight to 10 years older than most of the students in my classes. And once they found out I was a DJ, it kind of became a thing where they would test me constantly. Like, hey, have you heard of this song or this band or, you know, that type of thing. And and one day, I'll never forget it because it was hysterical. Some kid says, hey, man, have you heard of the band Collective Soul? They have a, a new CD out, brand new CD. Uh, hints, allegations, and things left unsaid. And, and um, I said, no, I hadn't I hadn't heard of them yet. And he goes, they're cool, man. They're like rock, but they got violins and shit. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. And so I, I was interested enough to run out and buy the Collective Soul. I think that's their first CD. And I really got into it. It, it. You know, for most of grunge music was a little bit too hard for me. And I felt like I was a little bit out of step with it. I was a little bit too old for most of it. And I just didn't get into Nirvana and... Pearl Jam and some Stone Temple Pilots I got into. But for me, you know, this kind of collective soul was, was you know, not so hard and angry and in your face. And so for me, a band like that kind of became my 90s rock. And, and I bought most of their CDs throughout the 90s. I'm going to play Shine. I don't know if there's any violins and shit in this one, but uh, it's the first song off the album and it was the hit. And I've always loved it. And I just love that sentiment of heaven, let your light shine down, whether you're religious or not. I just think you can get into that sentiment of, of, you know, letting heaven or mother nature or just whatever, the sun, you know, letting your sun shine down is a beautiful, beautiful feeling. This is Shine.
I remember driving home from an event uh, and hearing a late night interview. I'm pretty sure it was on WNEW, which is a, a classic rock station out of New York. And if I remember correctly, it was Dennis Elsis that was the DJ. And he had this band in the studio. And the lead singer happened to be Bob Dylan's son, Jacob. And they were talking about their debut album, which was just coming out. The band was called The Wallflowers. And so I was kind of intrigued. I think they even played a couple of tracks during the interview. And I really liked what I heard. So I remember running out and buying the CD the next day and it has a very chill sound, very folky kind of lyrics. I think Jacob's, Jacob Dylan's voice is, uh, is incredible. And uh, again, it's one of those CDs that I, that I just still to this day, I play nonstop. You know, when their next CD came out, it was a few years later. It was, uh, I think it was called Bring Down the House. And that's when everybody learned about the Wallflowers, you know, One Headlight and Three Marlenas and Sixth Avenue Heartache. Those were all on that second CD. And I remember feeling like, you know, while everyone was hopping on the bandwagon, I was like, hey, hey, that was my band. I was onto them first. But um, that's what happens sometimes, right? But uh, I love this next song I'm going to play for you. It's called Be Your Own Girl. Some great lyrics in this song and, and incredibly well sung by, by Jacob Dylan. One of my favorite CDs from the, the early 90s. Here's the Wallflowers. I know you're tired of waking up on the floor Pushed to the edge with nothing heavy to hold Using your clothes as a blanket and a bed and Holding your hands just to lay your head I know you don't remember ever falling down Who picked you up who gathered up
restless and ageless looking for something to keep When you finally fall asleep you're awakening dreams Hanging by the ankles in a skeleton ravine I know you can't relax Fell on your shoes Punched out the If you're a fan of an artist or a band as much as I am of Prince, I think at some point you become a completist when you start collecting their work. Meaning, especially with Prince, it was it, you know it was a bit of a challenge because not only did I buy every album 
that Prince put out, and and he was uh, pretty prolific in putting out an album every year, really, throughout the uh, 80s and 90s. But then I also bought every album that he uh, put out and produced for his protege bands, The Time and The Family. And yes, I even bought that shitty Carmen Electra album that he put out. But then you also find yourself buying other uh, artists' albums because Prince did a song or contributed this or did that. That's why I have a... I have an Annie DeFranco CD somewhere because Prince, I think, co-wrote a song with her. And I have a Jimi Hendrix tribute album because Prince contributed a song to that. And that's how I wound up buying the Kate Bush, I think the album is called the Red Shoe album. Uh, Prince plays guitar and piano on a song called Why Should I Love You? So I bought that album and uh, I can't say it's the only thing I own by Kate Bush. I can't say I'm a Kate Bush fan. I think I only know her from uh, singing with Peter Gabriel. But there is a song on the Kate Bush album, uh, The Red Shoe, called Moments of Pleasure that has become a song that literally rips my heart out. And if I listen to it while, while I'm alone, I am often moved to tears. And I'm not that much of a man that I can't admit that. But uh, it is such a beautiful and painful and emotional song for me that I really just, I can't get through it sometimes, especially, like I said, if I'm listening to it by myself. Um, The lyrics in this are negative, but at the same time positive. I think she sings, just being alive, it can really hurt. And these moments given are a gift from time. How do you want to interpret that? Is that optimistic, pessimistic? I don't know. She name checks New York in this song, which uh, is something I always respect. I think New York is the greatest city in the world. I actually put a double CD together a number of years ago and gave it out to some friends um, when burning CDs was a thing of uh, all the songs that mention New York. And I don't even think this one made it. She also has a great line in this song uh, where she sings every old sock meets an old shoe and you can tell it's a great line when a songwriter repeats it she repeats it right after that and then at the the um towards the end of the song she name checks me she's she she drops the name michael which i remember the first time i heard the song i was like what did what what, what, did she just say my name uh um so i'm gonna play this i'm probably not gonna listen to it because it's gonna make me cry uh, so unlike everything else that I'm playing on this, I, I, which I've been listening to throughout, I'm going to leave this one alone and not listen to it. But, um, I do want to say this is, sounds very morbid, I'm sure. But, uh, this is a song that I want played at my funeral because to me it is, it's just so beautiful and painful, but beautiful at the same time. So here's Kate Bush and a song called Moments of Pleasure. Some moments that I've had, some of pleasure I think about us lying lying on a beach somewhere I think about us diving diving off a rock into another moment 
mentioned earlier that I'm a, a bit of a Prince completist as far as 
collecting everything that he's uh, played on and, and things like that. And and that also uh, spilled into me picking up an album in the early 90s by Arrested Development. I remember hearing Tennessee on the radio and I thought, hey, wait a minute, Tennessee, that's Prince, isn't it? And sure enough, um, they sample Prince singing Tennessee in, I think it's from Al- Alphabet Street, right? I'm going down. Yeah, uh, Alphabet Street to Tennessee. Right, that's it. And so I, I picked up the the Arrested Development CD for no other reason than I just, I had to have this uh, song that um, Prince is sampled on. And as it turned out, I wound up falling in love with the entire CD. I, I just think everything about it, their writing is extremely clever and intellectual, and I love their message. And so the song I'm going to play for you is called Fishing for Religion. And it's a song that um, I remember really, really spoke to me a lot when I when I heard it, because that's the time in my life when I was literally fishing for religion. I was raised Catholic and and I kind of held on to my Catholic faith. And so I was probably, as the songwriter says in this song, you know, fishing for religion, fishing for something new. And so this song, when I first heard it, really kind of spoke to me. As it turns out, uh, anyone knows me knows that I've I've kind of given up that search and I've chalked it all up to being a big bubba meister. I don't believe any of it, but uh, but there was a while where uh, you know I really did struggle with it and and look around and and try to find something that I could believe in. Passiveness causes others to pass us by is a great line from this song. Here's Arrested Development.
Ah, I love that. What does he say there at the end? Well, I got to go to church. Uh, You don't, (laughs) to be honest with you. So my education in classic rock continued uh, throughout my 20s and 30s. And I shouldn't say that in a past tense because it continues even till today. Uh, I love putting on the, what is, what's the title? What's the um, channel on uh, serious uh, deep tracks, I think, or something like that. And, and hearing songs that I've never heard before, album cuts, if you will, off of albums that I never owned. But uh, it continued uh, throughout, like I said, the 90s. And one way that I always kind of strove to learn about new music for myself, but older music was my older brother, Mark, uh, bought a place. Uh, he and <clears throat> He and Tony, his, um, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to call Tony his husband. They should have been married. Um, if if uh, same-sex marriage was legal back then, they would have been married, and I would have been able to call Tony and Mark husband and husband. But I can't, uh, don't get off on that tangent, Mike. Stay focused. So anyway, Mark and Tony bought a house uh, upstate New York called that they called Bumble Cove. It's right outside of New Paul's, which is a cool, funky college town um, right off the New York Thruway. And there is a record store that used to be a record store anyway, because, you know, all record stores are pretty much closed nowadays. But there used to be a great uh, independent record store right at the uh, just before the entrance to the New York Thruway. And I I got into this routine for a number of years that whenever I went up to spend the day at at Mark and Tony's, I would stop at that record store before I hopped on the Thruway. And they had a great used CD selection, uh, rows and rows and rows of used CDs. And what I would do is I would buy two or three UCDs that I didn't own prior. And that would pretty much take me home. The 90 minutes to two hour drive that it would take me from Mark's place to home, I, I could fill up with, you know, two or three CDs that I never owned before. And so this is the way I really kind of continued my education of, uh, and most of it is classic rock that I had not heard or, or really come to appreciate. So one of these trips, I bought the Neil Young, I think it's the greatest hits, right? Decade, it's two CD. And I remember hearing the song Gold Rush uh, on this trip, on this drive home. And I'm sure I had probably heard this song prior to that, maybe on the radio or something. But just being alone in my car and hearing this song, the emotion of it and the beauty of that song really just kind of washed over me. I don't understand what this song is about. I don't understand what Neil Young is singing about, and nor do I want to. I kind of like the fact that there's such beautiful imagery in this song And sometimes that's enough. If anybody ever sat down and tried to explain, like if I ever met Neil Young and he tried to explain to me, I'd be like, stop, I don't want to know because it's probably going to ruin it for me. I just kind of like the the imagery. I also love how he sings this. You know, Neil Young can rip up a rock song, but he sings this one so, I guess it's a falsetto or, or what have you, but it's so tender and so vulnerable, his singing style in this song. And I also have to shake my head when he sings Look at Mother Nature on the run in the 1970s, uh, it's kind of sad. I mean, that was, what, 40-plus years ago, coming up on 50 years ago, and Mother Nature's still on the run, isn't it? Um, but no, let's not talk about climate change either. Wow, I somehow worked um, same-sex marriage and climate change into this introduction. Anyway, here is After the Gold Rush. Well, I dreamed I saw the knights in armor come and saying something about a queen. There were peasants singing and drummers drumming and the archers split the tree. There was a fanfare blowing to the song. 
was floating on the breeze Look at Mother Nature on the run in the 1970s Look at Mother Nature on the run in the 1970s I was lying in a burned out basement With a full moon in my eyes I was hoping for replacement When the sun burst through the sky There was a band playing in my head And I felt like getting high I was thinking about what a friend had said I was hoping it was a lie Thinking about what a friend had said I was hoping it was a about Beck from, you know, his early hit Loser and some of his other early stuff. I was kind of aware of Beck, but um, I remember reading a review in, I'm pretty sure, Rolling Stone magazine about his new album that was coming out, Odelay. And the review intrigued me, and so I made sure I picked it up the probably the day it came out. I do that a lot. I, I buy music the day it comes out. And I was literally floored and blown away by the sounds and the writing and the lyrics and the cleverness and everything else about Odelay. I have since become such a huge fan of Beck. I've, I've bought every album he's ever put out since then and, and gone to see him a number of number of times. I'm going to play probably the most recognizable song off of Odalake. It's where it's at. I'm not going to talk over the beginning of this song because I love how it starts. When you listen to it and when you hear it on the radio, they often don't start it at the very, very beginning. It actually starts with the sound of a needle hitting a record. 
So it's kind of a throwback and it's kind of old school in that way that, you know, he's, he's, I think tipping his cap to, uh, to vinyl. Um, I love right after that, then it goes into that simple uh, organ riff, which returns every once in a while. And if you bought my audio book, you know, I, I use that as kind of the bumper between chapters. And I've been told it's it, people start getting a little sick of it if you listen to my audio book uh, all the way through. So my apologies about that. But it is my uh, homage, if you will, to what I consider to be a great song. I love the comedy in this song. I, I love when he says, you know, that was a good drum break. And of course, just the line, two turntables and a microphone, which is pretty much the tools of my trade and my entire career. I just love everything about this song. This is Beck and where it's at. Where's that? 
I would venture a guess that most casual Prince fans or just music fans who knew of Prince, um, by the early 90s, they'd pretty much given up on him and, and weren't even really aware that he was still putting out new music, especially once he left Warner Brothers. You know, he was now independently releasing music, and and so it wasn't really getting any radio play or much MTV play. And so for most casual fans, I think Prince kind of fell off the face of the earth in the, in the early to mid-90s, but certainly not for hardcore Prince fans. And, and when he first left Warner Brothers in 1996, the very first thing he released was a three-CD set called Emancipation. And so for somebody like myself as a Prince fan, it was really like, you know, it was uh, it was a, an embarrassment of riches or whatever that that term is. Uh, not, I listened to that CD nonstop. Didn't love every song on it, but I loved a lot of the songs on it. And then uh, he toured extensively to support that album. And while he was on tour, he released a cassette single. Keep in mind, he was independently releasing a lot of stuff at this time. So he kind of had to be connected to his website and and I bought this cassette single. I had not seen this specific show, but I'd seen this tour. And there was a song on Emancipation called Face Down that uh, on the album itself is a really funky, cool track. But when he played it live, he just opened it up and it became this unbelievable experience. And, and so I'm going to play the live version of that song next. Now, listen, I am well aware that it is impossible to capture a concert experience with a recording, whether it's audio or, or video. I mean, I, I've got plenty of bootleg videos of Prince concerts, and I've got a few Sting concerts and things like that. I've got the you know the concert of the Wall when when um, uh, you know Roger Waters did the the Wall for when the Berlin Wall came down, and you cannot sit and watch or listen to one of these and it's not the same as you don't feel like you're at that show but I want to share this because I think whether you've seen Prince live or not I think this recording it's a long one uh, I think this recording will give you kind of a sense of what a Prince concert was like there's a little bit of humor in it at one point I think it's early in the song uh, he plays the bass and he, he says excuse me I, I got a school Ronda that's a reference to his bassist uh, he picked up the bass in the beginning of the song and played it himself. So there were two basses playing at the time. He also leads a chant towards the end of the song, slap that motherfucking bass. So, you know, this was still when Prince was cursing. He he stopped cursing after a while. Uh, so this is obviously still in the years when he was cursing. Um, this to me is typical experience of seeing Prince live and one of his better, more obscure songs probably would have been a hit if he had, uh, you know, the promotion of of Warner Brothers backing it up. But here's Face Down live in concert. Dead like Elvis. Face Down. 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 Face down. What we like to do right now? Dead like Elvis. Like to rock. Oh, wait a minute. Face down. Dead like Elvis. Face down. I'm sorry. What we like to do? Dead like Elvis. Face down. We like to get you to get into this new sing along. It's just Dead two like words. Elvis. Face down. Face down. Dead like now, Elvis. This song. Face down. This song is. Oh, Lord. Wait a minute. Dead like Elvis. Face 
sorry. Dead like Elvis. This song. This song is dedicated to all the motherfuckers that want to rule you. Dead like Elvis. No man needs a ruler tonight. No man needs a ruler tomorrow. No man needs a ruler as long as he's on this black face Dead of the like earth. Elvis. Two words, face down. Dead uh, like Elvis. Uh, face down. And you tell them to bury you face down so they can kiss your Dead ass. Dead like Elvis. Face down. When we get, when we get this group, oh, Dead wait a like minute. Elvis. Sorry. Dead like Elvis. Face down. When we get this groove on, I want everybody doing something. Like I don't care Elvis. what you do. Face down. Dead like Elvis. Slap your neighbor. Uh, Dead like shake Elvis. Shake your, you know, but do something. New York, are you ready? Turn Dead around. Like Come on. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there was a time as a, as a DJ where if a client asked you for a song and that song hadn't already been released as a single that you pretty much had to go out and buy the whole album or, you know, by the early 2000s, it was the whole CD you had to go out and buy. Uh, this is before iTunes. And if you didn't want to illegally download a song from Napster or one of those other sites, you, you pretty much had to buy the CD. And such was the case for me personally. I remember it was 2001. I was I was. I'd just gone through my divorce, I think, and I was kind of in that mood of like a free man for the first time in years and and open to new music and certainly new experiences. And a client asked me for a Pete Yorn song, and I had never heard of the artist, and, and I had not heard of the song or the CD. So I bought his debut CD called Music for the Morning After, and I played the song at the gig, and then it was one of those, I was like, hey, I have this whole CD, I might as well listen to it. And I listened to it, and I just loved it, and I loved everything about it. And for me, it became one of the CDs, Not it was not the only one, but certainly one of the CDs that I listened to kind of nonstop during that first year or two after my divorce and, and while I was a single man again. And so listening to this music really brings me back to that time. Uh, I fell in love with Pete Yorn at the time. I've become a big fan. I've bought pretty much every CD he's ever put out. I've I've, I've gone to see him a bunch of times. Uh, here is, I think it's the first song off of uh, Music for the Morning After, Life on a Chain by Pete Yorn.
So in the late summer of 2001, I picked up the U2 album CD, whatever you want to call it, All That You Can't Leave Behind. And I don't know why I waited so long. Uh, I think the album came out in in late 2000. So it was almost a year later that for some reason I picked it up and just had started listening to it and getting into it when that tragic day, you know, 9-11 happened. And so for me, much of that album brings me back to that time. And I, I had that that CD in my car kind of nonstop those first few weeks after 9-11 while everyone in the country was going through that, you know, kind of malaise and that kind of shock and and that kind of, you know, trying to regroup and and come out of the funk. And specifically this one song that I'm going to play for you, it's called Stuck in a Moment. I really credit this song and, um, and really the entire album, but this song specifically for helping me get out of my moment because the lyrics in this song to me are so positive uh, I mean the opening line I'm not afraid of anything in this world there's nothing you can throw at me that I haven't already heard the whole concept of being stuck in a moment but you don't have to be don't say that later will be better in other words keep going and get through it what's the great line when you're going through hell keep going it's kind of what this song is about in in my interpretation of it anyway and then that final final line along if your way should falter Along the stony pass, it's just a moment. This time will pass. Man, I got choked up just saying that. This is a song, and it's from the album that really brings me back to that dark time of 9-11, but also reminds me that there's nothing that we can't get out of without the right attitude.
So sometime in the early 2000s, Dominic uh, Sestito told me about a local band called Day Soul. I was just starting to date Kelly at the time, and the two of us started going to see Day Soul, and we became huge, huge fans. And we were really convinced that we were in on this band that was going to be huge. We just They have this great Latin rock sound kind of, I've always said they're, they're Santana meets Rusted Root, if you can imagine that kind of alternative yet uh, yet Spanish sounding. They wound up putting out two CDs that didn't break them, and and unfortunately they disbanded afterwards. Although their their lead singer Albi Monteroso still uh, plays in the area from time to time, and he plays a lot of those great Day Soul songs. Like I said, Kelly and I just just thought they were going to be huge, and they didn't turn out that way. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're one of those bands that. They were never able to capture their live sound in the studio. And as the song that I'm going to play for you here is, is a studio recording of one of my favorite songs by them, Chica de Miami. And and as I listen to the, the, the version that I'm going to play for you now off of the album, it's not as good. It's not as good as seeing them live. And and so, uh, Albie, if you ever listen to this, I, I just want to say Kelly and I had so many great nights coming out to see the band and coming out to see you personally and and we love your live sound and i really do think the main reason day soul never broke is they're they're just one of those bands and you've heard this throughout the history of of music that just couldn't capture the fun and and just that overall vibe uh that they that they put out live in the studio here is chica de miami from a band that you probably have never heard of this is called day soul Girl, 
she was dancing in front of me I think she was digging me So when I got on stage, that's when I made contact She's a hard to get record company contract Chica de Miami, Chica de Miami True love sometimes is hard to get Just like a shot of Cuban coffee She woke the next morning Chica de Miami went She's Havana sunshine I'm New York City moonshine Together we made for a real good time We were top floor overlooking La Playa At the Cleveland Hotel English, I spoke mostly Spanglish We settled on love, the universal language Chica de Miami, Chica de Miami To love sometimes is hard to get Just like a shot of Cuban coffee She woke the next morning Chica de Miami went I was heartbroken at first But I'm feeling all things that I'm very aware of as a DJ is that if I can bring my clients back to the music that they loved as teenagers and and in their early 20s, uh, I have a much greater chance of success and making them happy and and getting them on the dance floor and, and making it a great party. And the reason for that is that I believe that the older you get, the less affected and touched and really grabbed by music that you become. I don't know the reason for that. I, I think, you know, when we're younger, maybe our heart is open a little bit more to things like, you know, songs on the radio that affect us and move us and talk to us and things that we can relate to. And maybe as we get older and responsibilities get heaped on your life and, and everything else, you're just less open to art and music and things like that, which is sad, but I think it's a reality. And 
it's certainly a reality if you look back at, at this uh, recording that at so many of the songs that I that I knew and really still move me to this day are songs that I, I came to know in my teens and, and in my 20s. There's not a lot in here from my 30s and beyond. Um, and and I think that's that, that is, like I said, if, if it's sad, that's true, but it's also kind of natural. And I realize now that I've played 29 songs in this project that I haven't played a Beatles song. And I think the reason for that is that I don't ever remember becoming aware that the Beatles were such a great band. It was a slow realization for me. You know, unlike the Rolling Stones, unlike the Doors, unlike so many other classic rock artists and bands that I've come to know, I can remember sort of specifically when it was like, you know, dawned on me, wow, this was a great band. But I mean, going back to even, you know, my childhood, I remember my dad had a copy of the White Album. I don't ever remember hearing him play it in the house, but I remember he had it, and I remember opening it up, and I think I played it. Uh, I was probably way too young to really appreciate it. I remember having a friend uh, in Queens when I was a teenager who was a defiant Beatles fan, and he used to get pissed off at anybody who questioned whether the Beatles were the greatest band ever, and he would, you know, get in your face, and you don't know anything about music, that type of thing. But I didn't at that point. You know, when I was a teenager, I don't think I realized how great the Beatles were. But slowly, as I've listened to their music throughout the last, you know, probably 30 years of my life, I've come to the realization that the Beatles are the greatest rock band ever. And there's not even a close second. You know, if you want to argue that it's the Rolling Stones or the Doors or Led Zeppelin or who, or whoever you want to argue is just as good or second place or whatever to the Beatles, my argument is yes, but they're a distant second. It really is. And it, and it comes down to the talent in the band. I mean, most people think of the Beatles as Lennon and McCartney, and they were certainly, for most of the band's short history, they were the two main songwriters and the two leads and everything else. But that leaves George Harrison as the third guy. And when you look at George Harrison's work, especially his solo work after the Beatles broke up, George Harrison was as good a songwriter and as as really a better musician than either McCartney or Lennon and could hold his own as a band leader in, in any band. And that's how deep and and uncanny it was that the Beatles had such amazing talent. And I think that that's what puts them head and shoulders uh, above any other band. So anyway, I'm going to end this project. And first of all, I want to thank you for listening. If you've listened to the entire three plus hours, I thank you. Uh, this has been a joy to put together. I've told a few people as, as I've worked on it, this is better than therapy and a lot cheaper. Uh, and it's been great to kind of walk through my past and, and relive a lot of these songs and a lot of the moments that I came to learn them. So thank you very much for listening. Again, I would encourage anyone, uh, and especially people whose music knowledge and, and opinion I respect, please put something like this together. And if you do, tag me in it, because I'd love to hear your version of what songs shaped your life. I'm going to finish this off with uh, a beautiful song. John Lennon mostly wrote this. It's called, uh, the name of the song is Across the Universe. I've always loved the the lyric in this, nothing's going to change my world. I think there's two ways to look at that lyric. Like, what are you, so stubborn that you're never going to change? Or you're so steadfast in your beliefs that nothing can rock you. And that's the way I choose to look at that line. I think that this is John Lennon at his most poetic, which is saying a lot because he was a great lyricist and a great poet. Um, and I'm going to leave with, is this my favorite Beatles song? I don't know. That's hard to say, but it's certainly one of them. So I'm going to finish this project with a beautiful Beatles song across the universe. Mm-hmm.
Suns it calls me on and on across the universe. 